Chapter 19 David spent the night at my house. I told my dad it was a sleepover. I gave him my bed, and I used my sleeping bag and an air mattress. An air mattress that had lost all its air by 2am. Which was a good thing, because I woke up when David was sneaking from the room. I found him starting to make a phone call from the hall phone. I put my finger down on the buttons before he could dial. Ever heard of caller ID? I whispered. I'm calling my mom and dad, he said fiercely. I nodded. Okay, but not from here. We got dressed and crept past my dad's room and down the stairs. It was chilly outside and damp. Come on, I said. Where are we going? You want to call home? Fine, we'll call, but from a payphone. And then we'll see what happens. I led him down the street, hoping no cop would pass by and notice us. I wasn't used to roaming the streets late at night. At least not as a human. Normally, I'd be in morph. I took him down the dark, quiet subdivision streets, out through the gate, and along the boulevard to the 7-Eleven. There was a phone on the street side of the 7-Eleven parking lot. Okay, now listen up, I said to David. We do this my way. You can call. Tell your parents you're alright. Don't tell them who you're with. Don't tell them where you are. Got it? He nodded, but I don't think he intended to listen to me. That was okay, because I wasn't going to leave him alone. My finger would be half an inch from the little lever, ready to kill the phone call if I even thought he was going to say anything wrong. David pumped in a quarter and started to dial. I grabbed his arm. Before you do that, let me tell you exactly what's going to happen. Your mom and dad will sound totally normal. They'll tell you to come home. If you refuse, they'll ask where you are. Ask them what happened today at the house. Just that. David finished dialing. Hello, Dad? It's me. It's me. I waited while he listened. No, I'm okay. I'm scared. Listening again. I silently mouthed the words. Ask him. Dad, what happened? I mean, those were aliens and all. David listened. His eyes turned to me. I could see the dull fear. It was all a trick? He echoed back. It was guys from your work playing a trick? I rolled my eyes. I'd expected some lame lie, but that was really lame. Dad, I saw that one alien turn into something else. That was real. Pause. I'm okay, I'm... Click. I stopped the call. David turned on me, furious. He looked eerie in the neon and fluorescent glow from the 7-Eleven. What are you doing? He demanded. I grabbed his sleeve. Come on, that's time enough. He shook me off. Step off, Marco. You don't tell me what to do. Listen, you idiot. In about two minutes, a couple carloads of yurks are going to come screaming up looking for you. They'll trace the call. My dad wouldn't do that. No? Come with me. We can watch. We can see what happens. He came with me across the boulevard. There's a row of older buildings over there. The kind with deep, dark doorways. We slunk back into the shadows. I was wrong. It didn't take two minutes.
Two jeeps, windows darkened, came roaring down the street a minute and a half later. The long, sinister limousine was not far behind. Human controllers leapt from the jeeps. No hork this time. Not out in the open. See? That doesn't prove anything, David hissed. But then, another car came squealing up. David's father and mother jumped out. They joined the others. His father began passing out photographs. Your picture, I said. They're guys from my dad's work, David said. Other spies, like him. What exactly does your dad do for a living? He works for the National Security Agency. So, see? He would be able to trace the call, and he'd have his work buds with him. He's just looking for me, that's all. His father and two of the other men dodged traffic and ran across the boulevard. Others spread out into the store and around the back, looking here and there. His father and the two men came down the sidewalk straight for us. We could hear their footsteps. We could hear his father's voice. If we don't find that kid, Mr. Three will make us wish we were dead, David's father said. I looked at David. I saw him sag. I was afraid he'd collapse. He's coming this way, David said, his voice cracking. He'll see us. No, he won't, I said in thought speak. I guess David didn't notice that he hadn't really heard my voice. His father and the other two came closer, and then... There came the sound of something running. Something large. I stuck my head out of the shadows to watch. David did the same. The three controllers heard the heavy galloping sound and turned. There, running down the sidewalk, came a rhinoceros. David's father and one of the men were bright enough to get out of the way. The third man was not. Woof! Rhino horn hit human flesh, and human flesh didn't do so well. The controller flew up, over, cartwheeled once, and landed hard on the pavement. That would be Jake, I said calmly. He and the others have been taking turns watching my house in case there was any trouble. They followed us. David's father turned, drew his gun, and aimed for Jake's retreating butt. Not that a little pistol was going to do serious damage to a rhino butt. Still, I stepped out, wrapped one massive gorilla hand around the back of David's father's neck, and tossed him lightly against the wall. David's father hit, bounced, and fell to the sidewalk with a sigh. The other controller took a long, gaping look at me, at my tree-trunk arms and bulldozer gorilla head and shoulders. It's a trap! He yelled and scurried back across the boulevard. Seen enough? I asked David. Chapter 20 We moved David from my house to Jake's house. We didn't have any idea what to do with him long term. He couldn't go home. He couldn't go anywhere. He was a hunted person. And we could not allow him to be caught. Not with what he knew. The day after he witnessed his father as a controller, we assembled in the woods. Cassie's dad was working in the barn. Even though it was still chilly out and the sky was filled with clouds, we were tramping along, clutching our sweatshirts and jackets closed with one hand. With the other hand, we were carrying a large divided wire cage. We'd passed poles through, front to back, one on each side. Cassie, Jake, Rachel, and I each had a pole end. 
David walked alongside, a little off by himself. Tobias and Axe were in the woods. In the cage were two big birds of prey, a merlin and a golden eagle. The merlin was about a quarter of the size of the eagle. The eagle was one big bird. And heavy. My carrying arm was straining. Both birds had been patients of Cassie and her dad. Both were going to be released. Tobias came swooping down, seemingly out of the clouds. He landed with easy precision on a small log. What are you doing with that? He demanded, glaring at the eagle. Relax, relax, Tobias, Cassie said, setting down the cage. You're not releasing him near my territory, he said flatly. Tobias, this bird has only been at the center for a couple of days. He has a well-established territory back in the mountains. You know golden eagles don't like roosting in trees if they can't find a nice cliff. So he won't be hanging around. But we can't get him any closer to his territory, really, because the road back up there washed out. Tobias stared fiercely at her. But then, Tobias always looked fierce. That hawk face never looks exactly happy or relaxed. He switched his gaze to David, then to Jake. It was a clear, unspoken question. David's here to acquire his first morph, the Merlin. Which one's the Merlin? David asked. The smaller bird, Cassie said. They're very fast, very agile, she added helpfully. Faster than the big one? David asked. You don't want to be a golden eagle, Tobias said. They're jerks. They go after other birds, not to mention anything from a rabbit to a small deer. And I'm not kidding about the deer. I saw a golden eagle take down a young doe. Sank those talons right into the back of her head. Boom! She went down like she'd been shot. I want to do the eagle, David said. A moment's hesitation. Any special reason? Jake asked. Yeah. You tell me I have no home. No family. Now I'm supposed to be in the middle of some war with aliens? If I'm in a war, I want to kick butt. Jake nodded. It isn't always about sheer power. That golden eagle is as big as a bald eagle, and we have problems sometimes with Rachel being a bald eagle because of the size. That bird has a seven-foot wingspan, Cassie pointed out. David nodded and looked down at the leaves and grass underfoot. Did Jake here tell you all what animals to morph? Or did you pick them yourselves? I'm not telling you what animal to morph, Jake said calmly. But it was that calm voice Jake uses when he's actually starting to get mad. Okay, then I'll morph the eagle, David insisted. Here's an idea, I said. How about not being such a jerk? We saved you from the yurks. We've been doing this a while, alright? We know what we're talking about. And Jake is the leader of this little group, so how about if you show some respect? Who are you, my father? David sneered. You don't tell me what to do. No one tells me what to do. As for saving me? Huh, that's a joke. You wanted the blue box, and now you have it. And you know what I have? Nothing. That's what I have. Nothing. So thanks. I don't know what I expected from David. I couldn't be a hypocrite. I wasn't thrilled about being an Animorph at first either. I didn't care about saving the world then. I just cared about my dad not getting hurt anymore. 
And I guess I didn't really accept it at all till I discovered my mother was a controller. That's when I knew we had to fight. Look, kid, Rachel began. But Jake gave a little shake of his head, and Rachel stopped talking and just fumed. You guys all think you're so tough and so cool, David said. All these battles you've been in and all. But now, here I am, the new guy, as usual for me, and you don't like me. No one doesn't like you, Cassie said. David turned his head and stared right at me. He doesn't. I'm not an idiot, you know. I can tell what people think about me. My family moves every couple of years whenever my dad gets transferred. I'm always the new kid in school. So I've gotten good at telling what people think of me. And now here I am in this different school. And I'm the new kid. He shrugged. So look, maybe you like me. Maybe you don't like me. I don't care. I'm here. If you use this blue box on me, I'm one of you. But I'm not going to get pushed around. And I'm not going to be all, Oh, thank you, wise and wonderful Animorphs, for letting me join. If I'm in, I'm in all the way. If not, I guess I'll walk away and try to figure out what to do. On my own. The funny thing was, I kind of liked David's little speech. I like people who push back when they get pushed. I liked the speech. I liked the attitude. I still didn't like David. But Rachel laughed out loud. Oh, he'll fit in fine. Jake looked at Tobias. Where's Ux? Can't you hear him? You people are so deaf. He's galloping. Should appear right about... there. Axe sprang lightly into view. I am sorry to be late, he said. I had to go out of my way to avoid some human campers. Are we going ahead with the Escafil device? Jake hesitated, just a split second, before saying, Yes. Rachel had been carrying the blue box in a waste pouch. She unzipped the pouch, popped out the box, and tossed it to Axe. Axe missed the catch. Andalite hands are weak and slow. But before the box could hit the ground, Axe whipped his tail forward, turned the blade flat, and caught the box. He raised the box to his hands. Press your hand on the square nearest to you, Axe said. Wait, shouldn't there be some kind of ceremony or something? Cassie said. Like what? I asked. You want us all to join hands and sing the Star Spangled Banner? No. I don't know all the words, Cassie said. With a sly grin, she added, We could sing, mm, Bob. We all laughed, even David. Axe held out the cube in one hand. David stepped forward, still obviously a little intimidated by Axe. He pressed his hand down on the cube. It tingles, David said. Suddenly, I was back in that dark construction site. Back with Jake and Rachel and Cassie, with a human Tobias and a dying Elfangor. I barely recognized the person I had been back then. I had changed. Everything had changed that night. Now David, another kid not very different from any of us, had been dragged into this nightmare reality of great power and greater fear. Maybe I didn't like him, but I felt sorry for him. I stepped up to him and stuck out my hand. He took it. 
Welcome to the Animorphs, new boy. We each shook his hand. And then Cassie cracked open the cage of the Golden Eagle. You just put your hand in very slowly, she instructed. David's shaking hand moved toward the bird. Now press your palm against the bird's shoulder. He did. The eagle gave him a dirty look, but then ignored him. Focus your mind. See the eagle in your imagination. Think about him. What he is. What he represents. David's eyes fluttered shut. Now take your hand away, Cassie said softly. You now have the golden eagle inside of you. His DNA is in your blood. You can become him. David grinned. When do I do it? Soon, Jake said. We also have to get you a morph with some teeth. Cassie, take David to the zoo. With your access, he should be able to get in and out without being spotted. But the rest of us will fly cover. Let him have whatever morph he wants. But also get him a bug or two, in case he has to get small. We want to be ready, he said, switching back to David. We have a little... situation. A mission. Nothing to worry about, though, I said. Just the usual. Save the world from the alien invaders. You'll get used to it. Hello, Phantomorphs. Thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs auditory experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. Uh, once again, sorry for missing last week. I was moving. Internet did not get set up. I had a bunch of issues uh, getting it set up. Finally, online now, so we're going to get back on schedule. Uh, I am actually running late for uh, some other stuff I need to do, so I don't have time to go through any messages. Um, I know that at least one got sent to me, um, but we'll we'll address all of those next week. Thank you so much for your patience. Uh, I think this one might be a little shorter. Again, I'm moving. Uh, I'm packing stuff still. Um, so thank you for your patience. And uh, we'll just keep on keeping on. And um, hopefully this sound quality sounds okay. Again, now I'm in a new room. I'm having to readjust, figure it all out. Um, but we'll we'll get back on track. So that's I'm not going to put any of my other stuff on here because I am running late. So, so thank you for listening. And I'll see you all next week. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight.